Hi there. Welcome back to The Music's Not a Threat, a podcast about history, culture, and an anarchist pop band called Chumbawamba. This interlude is the second of two, laying out the basic timeline of the band's career over their 14 albums. Last time, we made it up through their seventh, Swingin' with Raymond, just before the album Tub Thumper and its hit single Tub Thumping. But in order to really talk about that album, we need to back up and talk a little about record labels. If you look at a vinyl record, you'll see a label in the center with the artist's name, the song name, and most likely, the company manufacturing and selling the record. On older vinyl especially, this company logo will often be the most prominent thing on the label, much larger than the artist name and song. That's probably why record companies are so often called record labels. Fundamentally, a label is a company whose goal is to make money by selling music. Now, art and money being a somewhat controversial mix, record labels have a pretty well-deserved reputation for embodying everything that's wrong with both music and business, especially among anti-establishment, anti-corporate types like punks. Record companies are incentivized to push artists towards safe, mainstream, financially motivated decision-making, with very little concern for things like authenticity, or treating artists fairly, or the songs being good. Bands signing to a major label especially might be accused of selling out, making art for the wrong reasons, taking orders from corporate overlords, trading artistic integrity for money and fame. And for ideologically anti-establishment bands, signing to any label could be seen as not just an aesthetic betrayal, but as a moral failure, supporting or legitimizing an exploitative and corrupt corporate system. Of course, that contradiction never stopped the suits from trying to cash in on anti-establishment music. Mega-label EMI signed seminal punk band The Sex Pistols in 1976, then dropped them just a few months later for, you know, acting like punks. They even wrote a song about it. A few years after that, in 1979, EMI merged with Thorn Electrical Industries to form Thorn EMI, a company which was, among other things, involved in arms manufacturing, making the label an even more obvious target for countercultural ire. In Chumbawamba's early days, they appeared on an anti-Thorn EMI compilation called simply Fuck EMI, which tells you basically everything you need to know about the overall punk attitude towards record labels. So given that attitude, like many punk bands, Chumbawamba started out acting as their own record label. Even though it was just them doing everything themselves, they did pick a label name to put on their labels. First, for many of their early cassettes, it was Sky and Trees, and then by the time the Revolution record came out, it was Agitprop, short for Agitation Propaganda. They knew what they wanted to do. But, as it turns out, what they wanted to do was not to run a record label. By the band's own admission, they weren't particularly good at it, and in the days before the internet, the task of manufacturing and distributing their own recordings was a lot of work and not what they wanted to be focused on. Luckily for them, members of fellow punk band Flux of Pink Indians had started their own indie label called One Little Indian, and Chumbawamba joined up with them. They released a handful of records on OLI, the band made the recordings, they designed the packaging, and OLI released what they made. Until 1995, when they were ready to release their newest album, Tub Thumper. I get no As usual, the band handled writing and recording themselves, but when they delivered the finished product to OLI, the label didn't want to release it. They didn't think it would sell, and they wanted Chumbawamba to do something else. Details are hazy about what exactly the label didn't like, but the band didn't want to change anything. They made the record they made, and if OLI wasn't interested in that, well, this is when Chumbawamba got a very interesting offer from a German record company, or rather, the German arm of a multinational conglomerate, a little record label called EMI. And EMI Germany offered to release the album exactly as they'd recorded it. No suggestions, no changes. Everything they wanted. But this is EMI we're talking about. 
At this point, the company had demerged from Thorn, so at least they weren't still in the arms business, but fuck EMI, right? A group like Chumbawamba signing with any major label, let alone with EMI specifically, the optics were strange at best. On the other hand, it did look like a genuinely good deal for the band. They got to release the record as they made it, have it reach more people, and get paid more for their trouble. Win-win-win and no artistic compromises. Whether this counts as selling out is a question for a future episode. Probably many future episodes. Chumbawamba had been accused of selling out since at least as early as the Revolution record, so if and when they did and what that means is a complicated issue that deserves in-depth analysis. Another time. Charitably, then, the band probably figured they'd tour around for a few months on the label's dime, reach a few new people, and then get quietly dropped from the roster when they didn't produce a radio hit. Because what were the chances of that happening, right? I get no Musically, Tub Thumper is relatively close to the loud side of swingin', but now with 90s dance beats behind it. Lyrically, the songwriting is closer to slap or shh, in that almost every song you're not really going to get the meaning just from listening. If you heard them introduce the songs in concert, or you went to their website, or you looked at the liner notes, or just asked them, you'd find out exactly what the songs were about. Chumbawamba was always willing to explain themselves, and the liner notes for this album provided explanations and a ton of quotes to give context to the music. So it's really too bad that in the US version, the liner notes got shunted off to the band's website rather than, you know, actually being in the liner notes of the CD. But that's a story for another time. One way or the other, the album's lead single, Tub Thumping, became a massive surprise success. The band, who had expected to be a no-hit wonder, suddenly found themselves a one-hit wonder, with all the accompanying attention and publicity. The question of how well they leveraged that situation to get the message out there and make the world a better place, well, that's kind of the whole subject of this podcast. One of the whole subjects, anyway. This did leave the band in an interesting position as they went in to record their next album. Their ninth overall, but their first as a major label band. And their first as the band who did that I Get Knocked Down song. The contract that let the band release Tub Thumper as recorded also gave them almost total creative control over their future output, which is very unusual for a band in that position. So as much as the label might want another Tub Thumping, Chumbawamba could once again basically do whatever they wanted. The resulting album, released in 2000, is called What You See Is What You Get, or the acronym WYSIWYG. The cover of the album is the face of a dog, but when you fold the cover open, it turns out to be part of a much larger picture of two dogs humping. On the surface, fun, goofy, maybe even cute. Look even just a little bit more closely. There's something more subversive just beneath the surface. Maybe that's a metaphor. Or maybe a golden retriever is just a golden retriever. It's probably actually a collie mix. She's got all her friends that money can buy. She's the apple of her daddy's eye. Musically, WYSIWYG is a big shift away from Tub Thumper, just like Tub Thumper was a big shift from what came before it. The dance beats are all but gone. There's a few songs that could have fit on the loud side of swinging. But if there's any single way to describe what is a pretty eclectic album, it would be pop. Just not... 90s pop. There's bits in there that remind me of doo-wop, old time, cowboy country, different styles of popular music from the 30s to the 70s. The 22 tracks on the album vary in length from 21 seconds to four and a half minutes, and basically none of them were radio material in the year 2000. They didn't write pop hits, at least not on purpose, and after WYSIWYG failed to produce another tub thumping, they were dropped by the label to the surprise of absolutely no one, least of all the band themselves. Back out on their own, they decided to try being their own label again, christening this new attempt Mutt Records and releasing their next album, Ready Maids, in 2002. The French artist whose name is spelled Marcel Duchamp, but pronounced Marcel Duchamp, 
originally gave the name ready-mades to a series of art pieces that were literally just everyday objects put up in art galleries. A snow shovel, a coat rack, most famously a urinal laid on its side and titled Fountain. We'll talk more about Duchamp as time goes on. But riffing on this kind of found art, the songs on ready-mades the album are backed up by samples of various British folk singers. The dance beats are back now, but this time it's all about that chill groove. And with folk music on the brain, it's maybe not surprising that the band chose to revisit their old folk album, English Rebel Songs, now as more experienced musicians, and updating it with a few new tracks, including Cole Not Dole, a song from the 1980s UK minor strike, an event the band was actually around for, and that had a big influence on their early political development. There'll always be a happy This addition did require a slight tweak to the title for the re-recorded version. Now, English Rebel Songs 1381 to 1984. They really are much better singers by this time. If you're looking it up, it's definitely worth listening to the re-recording rather than the original. Their next album, released the next year in 2004, is simply titled Un. The way it's written on the album cover and the CD spine, just before the band name, it looks like the album might be called Un Chumbawamba. And it is different. It's not the Chumbawamba you know, but this is their 11th album, so if you've been listening this far, you know they never stayed the same for long. There's more acoustic instrumentation going on here than a lot of their previous work. I've seen people say it has influences from world music, which seems to mostly mean music from places where they don't speak English, so most music. But it is true that after ready-mades and English rebel songs dialed in on English folk traditions, the influences here are more wide-ranging. Mr. Kokoschka, it just happened again. Lyrically, the topics are as wide-ranging as ever, from the then-recent invasion of Iraq to the revolutionary potential of open-source software. But as has become usual at this point, you do kind of need the liner notes to parse out those meanings exactly. But at this point in their career, with Tub Thumper a few years and a few albums behind them, it's safe to say that anyone still listening to Chumbawamba at this point is probably willing to check out the liner notes. This album was also notable for being the last one recorded by Chumbawamba as an eight-piece band. Membership had always been flexible, and there had been lineup changes before, but this was the biggest single shakeup since their early days. After Un, drummer Harry Hamer, vocalists Alice Nutter, Danbert Nobacon, and Dunstan Bruce all left to go do other things. No fights, no drama. As far as I can tell, everybody was and is still good friends. This left four members of the band. Lou Watts, Boff Wally, Neil Ferguson, and Jude Abbott. Now without a drummer, and without their three most energetic vocalists, Alice, Danbert, and Dunstan did most of the shouting for the band, their evolution towards a quieter, softer, folksier sound was probably inevitable, even if they weren't already kind of headed that direction anyway. And with this new four-piece lineup, they recorded their next album, A Sing Song and a Scrap. A compass and a cap. A sing song and a scrap. Scrap being British slang for a fight. That title is reinforced by two pictures in the liner notes. One is an old photograph of what looks like four American frontiers people, one holding a fiddle, another holding a shotgun. The other is a picture of the band in the same pose. Both pictures have been used as the album cover, depending on which version you get. A fiddle and a shotgun. A sing-song and a scrap. The message seems pretty clear. Sing sweetly, but don't let anybody push you around. That's the Chumbawamba way. During this time, they also released the live album Get On With It, the title being a reference to Monty Python, I'm sure. Get on with it. 
on with it. But also a nod to the band's tendency to give long introductions between songs when they played live. Yes, get over it! Yeah! It was three years before their next album, by which time accordionist Phil Moody had joined the band. He had already played on some songs from Sing Song and a Scrap. At this point, they'd also joined the No Masters Cooperative, an indie record label co-op which I think has the best possible name. Anyway, the boy bands have won released in 2008. I've already talked about this album at the beginning of the Sing About Love episode, including its record-settingly long full title. You can look it up if you want to refresh your memory, but to summarize the message, culture and cultural artifacts, like songs, are meant to be shared and modified, not owned, restricted, or frozen. Those were the days, my friend, we took the Stratford end, now it's a theater of dreams, TM. Be a surprise that the band who made Jesus H. Christ would be anti-copyright, or that a band whose sound changed constantly would be anti-stagnation, or that a bunch of old punks would be anti-boy band. Me personally, I'm a One Direction fan, so make of that what you will. And if the album's title is an encouragement not to stay in one place, the album's songs, all 25 of them, ranging from 40 seconds to three and a half minutes, are about all kinds of things. With that crazy track list and a lot of genre hopping, it's a lot like a much more acoustic version of WYSIWYG. But in many ways, that's very Chumbawamba and in keeping with the album's theme. Looking back, looking forward, doing what we want, and having a good time along the way. Their next album, which ended up being their last, came two years later in 2010. ABCDEFG is softer and quieter than their previous albums. I wouldn't describe it as folky per se, not like Sing Song is, although I don't know what else you would call the sound. Just our voices, that's all. Everywhere a concert hall. As we noted in the episode for the song Introduction, this album is all songs about music, how it's preserved, how it spreads, and what's even the point of it. And maybe all this quiet introspection was a sign that the end was nigh for the band. They were still playing and touring for another two years, but in 2012 they announced they were disbanding. They recorded a DVD of their farewell performance called Going, Going, and then they were gone. Except for their final release, which came in 2013. Before their breakup, if you stopped by the merch table or if you went on the website, you could pre-order a CD called In Memoriam Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister, who at the time was still alive, with the promise that the CD would be shipped out in commemoration when she died. Morbid? Yes. In bad taste? Possibly. Chumbawamba? 100%. So long, so long. You kept me waiting so long, so long. It is not merely stunned, it has ceased to be, expired, and gone to meet its maker. And when Baroness Thatcher did expire on April 8th, 2013, the final Chumbawamba record dropped in the post box, and that was that. The band members are still around, doing various things, including making music. Danbert records as a solo artist. Dunstan and Harry started a band called Interrabang. Boff works with a group called Commoner's Choir. Chumbawamba's dead. Long live Chumbawamba. Of course, this is just a general overview. There's still plenty more to talk about, details to fill in, and so on. That's the topic for the rest of the podcast. So, onward. Next time, we're back to the songs. Until then, be well, and whatever you do, please cite your sources. Thanks for listening.